Hey Watchers, today's episode features the first full-length film from writer-director Ryan Johnson, who has come to be known for his interesting and innovative storytelling. So put on your ugliest pair of shoes and get ready to hit the pavement, because it's time for 2005's neo-noir mystery film, Brick. Welcome to the Midnight Watch Podcast, the show where we discuss classic, cult, and modern classic movies. We're your hosts, Jeremy and Josh Baruto, and we review movies that are at least 10 years old. Fair warning, we're big on spoilers here, straight from the get-go. We rate these movies in four categories. Number one, the level of impact and success it had when it was released. Number two, how relevant is it today? Number three, our own personal enjoyment of this movie. And number four, is it a Midnight Watch? What is a Midnight Watch? It's a film which completely captures your attention, drawing you in. No matter what time or what part you start watching the movie, you have to finish it. She's a break. <laughs> That's every time I have I hear the word brick, I'm always like, house. Okay, anyways, this is Brick, directed by Ryan Johnson, written by Ryan Johnson, starring Ryan Johnson. No, it's not. Um, the budget was $450,000, and the box office was $3.9 million. That's how you do it when you come out with an independent film. That's what yeah. I'm talking about, man. That was legit. This was a, I would say this was a breakout role for Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I mean, he was, he's around, he was known for, before as a comedic actor, specifically for like, what, Third Rock from the Sun, and then he was uh, like pretty, he was in like goofy parts of like uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah, well, he, and I think at first he was a, known as a child actor because he was in uh, Angels in the Outfield. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, where'd you put the nachos? <laughs> I'm saving them for later. Um, <laughs> but, Which is funny because I, when I watched this movie, like I didn't realize that was him. I totally back, forgot about know, that. Back in the day, that is. And I had... Yeah. I watched this movie um, because... Oh, actually, let's finish the, before that. It's starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Nora Zahetner, Lucas Haas, Noah Fleece, Matt O'Leary... Emile de Ravine. I think that's how you say her name. It's Emily or Emile? I think it's just Emily. Okay, fine. It's Emily. Emily <laughs> de Ravine. I should know. I had a crush on her when that show Lost uh, was out. Uh, <laughs> and a bunch of other uh, really good actors. So, <laughs> anyways, the first time I saw this movie actually was... I'm just thinking about it right now. I don't remember ex exactly when I saw it, but it had to be before 2007. Because 2007 was when The Lookout came out, and by then I was a, a Joseph Gordon fan because I saw this movie and I was like, "Oh, this guy's cool! Like, I need to check this out." Because I just remembered him from Third Rock from the Sun. So uh -huh. this was the movie where I was like, "Oh, this guy's a serious actor." And then I watched uh, The Lookout after that, which we may review that sometime. Did you ever see that movie? Man, I can't even think. Well, I can't even think what it is. It's a bank heist, and he's a janitor at the bank, and so the bank robbers like become friends with him before so that he's the in man and so he becomes the lookout but then things go wrong no i don't think i've seen that one we may have to check that one out all right yeah so that was the first time i saw this though because i didn't know of course who ryan johnson was i don't know if he had really done anything i think that was the only thing he had done at the time because then later For of the course most part yeah right because then i saw brothers bloom and then um i saw looper i loved looper right. i thought that was freaking legit 
So well, it's funny. I didn't even realize he had done Brothers Bloom, and I saw that movie right when it came out, mm-hmm. and I and I enjoyed it. But all I knew was when Looper came out, everybody was like, "Oh, it's by the guy that did Brick." Mm. I was like, "Oh, sweet! I love Brick." Right. And then later, as I'm looking at his filmography, I'm like, "Oh, he did the Brothers Bloom. That's cool." Right. That's uh, a weird movie. It is a very weird movie. But um, yeah. Anyways, when is the first time you saw this? So that's I was trying to think of that too. In uh, with as with you, I think it had to have been probably 2007 because I I remember I had just started at Southwest mm-hmm. and I was um, I would stop at the library on the way to work because I was working PMs and I would pick up like a stack of DVDs. Oh yeah, and I don't remember. I feel like somebody told me to watch this movie. I don't know if it was you. Had to have been you because I really didn't know anyone at work yet. It was I was pretty new. So you must have okay. told me to, to watch this, and I and I, I got it. And it was one of my first kind of introductions to this is an indie movie. And not that I hadn't seen indie movies previously and liked them, but this one mm-hmm. I kind of went into it knowing that it was an independent film. And that's this was definitely one of my first introductions to it, and it definitely made me a fan of independent film. Yeah, no, I think the reason actually that I saw it with this movie is because I saw the poster for it and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool looking. And then Lost was out, so I knew who uh, Emily DeRaven is. And so I was like, oh, she's in this movie. I'm going to check this out. And then, of course, she's like <laughs> dead in the first five seconds right. of the movie. <laughs> I kind of missed the plot on that one. Right. And so, but then I stayed for, uh, I, I came for Emily and I stayed for Joseph. It was, there you go. Yeah. You can't, dude, you, you, you can always do with a little more JGL in your life. Absolutely. Except you, for, uh, was that Don John movie? <laughs> Did you ever see that oh, one? Don Juan. Don no, Juan. No, I haven't. I've, I've heard some people loved it and others not so much. I was not a fan, but I, it's definitely for a certain demographic. Sure. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I realized too that your girlfriend that you had a crush on, she and I didn't know this at the time because I hadn't watched the other show yet, or probably hadn't even come out yet. But she plays Belle in that ABC show, Once Upon a Time. I don't think I made it that far character. into the show. Yeah, um, I I don't think was she in season one. Uh, I don't remember if if she shows up then or season two. It's probably fairly fairly early, but it could be season two. I think I ghosted that show earlier because number one, I didn't have kids at that time, and I don't think I really had a. I don't think I had a girlfriend at that time too, so I didn't watch it. <laughs> but I was yeah, all my, about my wife. Definitely wrote me into this one. So I, I was, I got, and then I got hooked. I was into Grimm. I thought that was a that was a sweet show. I did like that show too. Yeah, yeah until it got weird. Anyways, back to uh, back to Brick. Back to Brick House. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm probably gonna the whole episode, folks. The, the whole, whole episode. episode. Shout out to the Commodores. <laughs> 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 Anyways. All right, let's go ahead and hit that synopsis before we dive deep into this mystery film. Before we hit the bricks. Too soon. Too soon. (laughs) Too soon, okay. And uh, thank you, Wikipedia. High school student Brendan Fry discovers a note directing him to a payphone where he receives a call from his terrified ex-girlfriend, Emily Costage, begging for help. She mentions a brick, tug, and the pin before abruptly hanging up, apparently afraid of a passing black Ford Mustang, from which a distinctly branded cigarette is thrown. Unable to locate Emily, Brendan enlists his friend Brain for help. An encounter with another ex-girlfriend, Kara, leads him to a party held by flirtatious upper-class girl Laura Dannon and her boyfriend, Brad Bramish. 
Laura appoints Brendan to Dode, who arranges a meeting with Emily. Emily dismisses the phone call and tells Brendan to let her go. Brendan steals her notepad and finds a note that leads him to her dead body in a tunnel the following morning. Distraught, Brendan decides to investigate her murder, hiding the body to avoid police intrusion. Brendan discovers that the pin is a secretive local drug baron. As Brad is a frequent drug user, Brendan picks a fight with him, hoping to attract the pin's attention. Later, a man wearing a beanie attacks Brendan. Brendan sees the black Mustang in a parking lot and tries to break into it. He is beaten up by the car's beanie-wearing owner. Rather than fight back, Brendan repeatedly asks to meet the pin. The man is Tug, or this man rather is Tug, the pin's main enforcer, who reluctantly takes Brendan to the pin's house. Brendan asks the pin for a job, and the pin says he will investigate him and either hire him by the next day or have him beat up. Laura reveals herself and drives Brendan back to school. She explains that Emily stole a brick of heroin after being rejected by the pin's operation. Laura offers to help Brendan, but he distrusts her. The next day, Brendan learns that the pin has hired him. Dode calls Brendan and says he saw Brendan hide Emily's body. Believing Brendan is the murderer, he threatens to ruin him. Brendan meets the pin, who suspects that Tug is planning to betray him. At the pin's house, Tug tells Brandon that the pin recently bought ten bricks of heroin. He quickly sold eight wholesale. The ninth was stolen and later returned contaminated, and the final brick remains to be sold. The pin arrives and says that someone wants to meet to discuss Emily, revealing that Tug was romantically involved with her. Brandon intercepts Dode on the way to the meeting and discovers Emily was pregnant when she died. Dode believes it was his baby. Brendan passes out from his accumulated injuries and arrives at the meeting late, where Dode is demanding money to reveal who killed Emily. Tug goes berserk and shoots Dode in the head, then threatens the pin, who walks away as Brendan faints again. Brendan awakens in Tug's bedroom, and Tug tells, Tug tells him they are at war with the pin. Brendan arranges a meeting between the two and waits in Tug's bedroom. Laura comforts him as he grieves Emily, and they kiss. Brendan recognizes her cigarette as the same brand that was dropped from the Mustang during the call with Emily. At the meeting, chaos erupts when it is discovered that the tenth brick is missing. Tug beats the pin to death while Brendan flees, escaping just as police arrive. As he goes, he passes the partly open trunk of Tug's car, where he has placed Emily's body to ensure that the police bl blame her murder on Tug. The next day, Brendan meets Laura at the school. Brendan explains that he knows Lara, Lara, Laura <laughs> set Emily up to take the fall for Laura's theft of the ninth brick, then manipulated Emily into meeting Tug, who panicked and killed her after she told him he was the father of her unborn child. Brendan has written a note to the school administration stating that the tenth brick is in Laura's locker. Laura vindictively tells Brendan that Emily did not want to keep the baby because she did not love the father, and that Emily was three months pregnant when she died, meaning that the unborn child was his. Boy, that's a kick in the junk right there, huh? Yeah, it is. She called me a dirty word. <laughs> I love that line. Cause, I know. Uh, yeah, this movie, so the thing that's interesting about it is the movie, first of all, is played super serious. And I think that's oh, the reason it yeah. works. Because, like, if you think about it, this is totally, like, um, uh, like the, the Maltese Falcon type of story. Right. Like, the let's see. It was actually... There's a lot of stuff based from the, Mal the Maltese Falcon. I'm trying to look and see who is the author again. Yeah, Dashiell Hammett. Um, he was uh, really famous with writing about Sam Spade and other people like that. Right. He wrote the, the Maltese Falcon. And so 
the language in this, like the words they use and things like that, is to me, it's like that's not high school. That's like clearly like old school 1930s jargon. Right. And uh, so the reason, though, it works is because they play it so serious. They don't like they don't like wink at the camera or anything like that. They're just like, no, like this is this, this is, is just how, how it talk. is. Yeah. Right. And they, um, yeah, they know what they're doing. Right. The first time I watched this, I didn't really notice it. But the second time I watched it, it took me a little bit of time to get into it because it's just to me, it was just kind of strange because it's high schoolers and right. they're but they're all at, talking like gangsters and stuff. So but then like you, you get into it and then you get really get into it because the synopsis didn't. I actually think that synopsis wasn't really it told you what happened in the movie, but it missed all like the twists and turns and the feel of this movie. And so, yes. like this movie definitely is a noir film, like hardcore. So if you watch right. it, like pay attention because this if you miss like one scene, you might be thrown off for the rest of the movie. Right now, you definitely think this is Humphrey Bogart doing his thing, right? Um, in like Casablanca or one of the, any of those old, um, like you said, kind of gangster or detective type films. Yeah. Um, it's it's there all the way, and it's funny because I know Ryan Johnson wanted to set it specifically in in a high school setting, you know that that period of life, because it kind of all the drama that happens in high school like that. I mean, it's kind of the same as in those old movies, right? It's very very similar um, dynamic, even though you know the one is technically adults and the other one is children, but it's it's the same thing. Well, the thing that he was quoted for saying was uh, the high school, like, it's not real life, like, it, but there's a lot of bigger problems. But when you're in high school, that is serious. That is your life. Right. And so that's exactly that's all it's that matters. It's inflated over the top. Right. You it, know, life or death. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And um, which is kind of funny. Like, I, I get that point of view. I thought that he placed it in high school or at the school uh, because he didn't have money. And so he had to, like, just figure out what he used, what he had. And so then he, he did that. So I don't know if that's the case or not, but I do know though, that was the high school that he went to. I wonder where the, alma mater. I wonder where the budget went on this because he did graduate from film school. So I don't know if he rented the equipment or if he just paid the actors or, or what, but right. I, um, yeah, it's, it's a really tightly written film. It really shows off his, his, uh, directing style and his, yes. his dialogue. It's really, really good. And, I would say the one movie we talked about, let's see, he did Knives Out, which was the newest one. Did you see Knives Out? Oh, yeah. Great movie. I really liked it. I thought it was fantastic. I really like all of his movies except for uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi because I'm a Star right. Wars fan. So <laughs> Right. <laughs> and so, it's funny because when you, when you do try to watch it as a Ryan Johnson film, it's, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit better, but it's just so hard to get past all the Star Wars Oh yeah, of it all, and just take it for what he was trying to do. Right, uh, which is tough. Bottom line, though, I don't blame him for the Last Jedi. I blame the people that greenlit the script and to let him do whatever oh, he sure. wanted to do. So that's well, another. Just, up until up until recently, I mean, let's you know, The Mandalorian, really, John Favreau. Uh, it, it just they don't have as good a direction of what they're trying to do, other than just emulate what's already been done. Right, and now to, to copy. Yeah, and I think now they're finally realizing that oh, we need to have real direction. And I love that they technically haven't taken away his other two or three movies. I guess, he's, or maybe it's a trilogy. Yeah, the trilogy's still on. Yeah, right. it's still and on. I think that's amazing because if that's his vision, hopefully they'll leave him alone through three films. Then we might actually get some really cool Ryan Johnson filmmaking. Yeah, you know, and and Star Wars. 
Right. I think no. before it just, I don't know if there was just too much backseat driving too. And, and again, just not, ha- not clear enough, uh, vision to begin with. Right. But it was, is rough. Well, oh, yeah, uh, like shout out to uh, Dave Filoni, who I personally believe is the new George Lucas. I mean, like since sure. he created the Clone Wars show and then he's co-creator of the Mandalorian, like him right. no, just definitely him and Favreau for sure. Yeah. I mean, those are, those are the guys. I'm a, I'm a believer. I enjoy Star Wars again, and I'm, and I just Mandalorian's just it's a great show. So going back right. to to Ryan Johnson though, like yeah, he has a really distinct um, style of I wouldn't I wouldn't say cinematography, but I would definitely say his writing style. Like you're you're reading reading, <laughs> you're you're watching the movies, and the the way that it's laid out, you're just like this is really tightly tightly written, and right. he's a good writer. So well, yeah. it's the it's like we said in the in the introduction. I mean, his storytelling is very unique and you see that story coming across you know in the way he's edited together or like you said the dialogue yeah um i mean that's you definitely think about like even with looper you know it's some it's sci-fi but it still very much tells a story and it's it's intriguing and you know the mystery aspect is you know he he does a, a you know a dang good mystery yes story same yeah. with knives out just not knowing what's happening until you know the big reveal at the end Right. And I, I like, like, for example, he does, thinking about it, every movie he's done has been different. Because, like, this was a neo noir yeah. movie. Brother, Brothers Bloom was more of like a heist movie with a twist. And then, um, of course, you got Looper, which is a sci fi movie. Well, not really with a twist, but it's just sci fi based off the, the whole time travel idea. Right. And then, um, I mean, you got Last Jedi, but then, like, yeah, um, Knives Out is you got the, the spin on the whole Ten Little Indians who done it. And it was fantastic. So, yeah, I definitely enjoy his stuff. I think, yeah. And something that he does that I've just been kind of realizing as I've thought about these different movies, it's very apparent in Brick, but he is, <laughs> this sounds goofy, but he is delightfully low-tech. Yeah. Like, there's just not a lot of high-tech anything in his movies. I mean, even in Looper, which is supposedly, you know, futuristic, I mean, even the you know, the futuristic guns they're using just are like old and antiquated and right, the blunderbusses. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it, you know, when it's sci-fi, you can do whatever you want and have all kinds of cool, neat gadgets and stuff. And, and even for this movie that came out, um, in 2005, it's still very low tech. Yes. Uh, I mean, I mean, yes, pay phones were a big deal, but uh, you know, cell phones weren't unheard of and they made it really, uh, like a, it was a big deal to, Hey, can you get your mom's cell phone? It's like, I, I sort of, that wasn't really a thing at that point. Right. In, you know, in the world, um, there's, you know, cell phones, basic flip phones are very common. Every, most people had one. So the fact that there was really one phone like that mm-hmm. in the whole movie, maybe two, um, really said a lot and it really, you know, kicked it back to the old school style. But other than star Wars, uh, he just, and, and knives out too, it just feels very low tech and, he does it really well. So it's like he's transporting you back in time, but it's technically a modern movie. Right. Well, he wrote the screenplay in what, like right after he graduated from film school. So that was like, what, 97 or something like that. And it took him a long time to to get funding for the film to actually make the film. So that makes sense that when he wrote the script that there wasn't as many flip phones as there was when it, the movie was released. So, sure. but, but I, I feel like while I agree with that, I do also think that that's it's intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, running for the, for the pay phone. And again, there were plenty of pay phones around still. They weren't, you know, yanking them out like 
Right. You know, I had to point those out to my kids a few years ago. They saw one. They're like, what is that? And, you know, I had to explain what <laughs> that, a payphone was. That is the past, dear children. <laughs> right. Yeah. Dad used to have to leave the house with quarters in his pocket so he could, you know. I remember that. We went camping and you had to drive literally into town to call your girlfriend at the time to oh, talk yeah. to her. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, there's Josh going off into the woods, getting murdered. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, but no, I think I think some of that is is intentional for him, because uh, like I said, even looking at Looper and and even uh, Knives Out, right? No, I definitely agree. So uh, looking at this, uh, I didn't know this, but he apparently based the character of Brendan off of Spike from Cowboy Bebop. I thought oh, that I was pretty that, cool. Yeah. Did you? That did you ever, cool. Did you ever watch Cowboy Bebop? I've only watched the first handful of episodes oh, from like, season one, and it's amazing. I love it, and yeah. it's just again one of those. A lot of us just have a, a, you know, a watch list that is a mile long, and yeah. it's, it's on that constantly, constantly adding to it. Unfortunately, and then you see you come across a good show like Cowboy Bebop, and then you know, I'm, oh, I'm kind of into it, and then whatever new thing I was waiting for to come out comes out, and then you forget, and right, then you're then you're having a conversation with your brother, you know, like a year later, like oh man, I gotta go back and finish that. <laughs> um, so the hair and the walk was specifically Spike. He didn't fight like Spike, but right. Yeah, but I thought that was pretty cool. But his character was based off of, of that. And, um, of course, his character was based off of, like, Sam Spade. It's just the way that he, like, talked yes. and moved around. And I thought that was pretty cool. Also, and the shoes. The shoes, yeah. We've got to talk about the shoes at some point, but yes. Let's dive into the let's dive into the shoes. Yeah, go for it. The ugliest shoes ever. I mean, they're very... And it's... You know what? It's not... That's not fair. The shoes were fine, but the, for the time period, it's very throwback. Yes. Uh, he's running around... I mean, I wouldn't consider him a nerd. I think he was a decently cool kid compared mm-hmm. to, you know, the friends he hung out with. But, you know, from the ankles up, he looked fairly normal, except for the glasses. Those little tiny yes. wire rim glasses were also super throwback. Yes, I mean, they, they were. were. Spe- spectacle-like. So yeah. between that, but then the shoes. But I also, I had I read as well that the shoes were actually part of the him creating the characters for the movies. It was a very unique and distinctive feature for each of the characters to have these kind of old school very, very old school. <laughs> galoshes, kind of shoes. sort of, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, not even galoshes, but yeah, just just really kind of ridiculous shoes for the time period. Yeah. Because everything else they wore was fairly modern-esque, and then the shoes were just 50 years behind. <laughs> right. Well, except for uh, Lucas, the pin, that like outfit that he's got, where he looks like... Uh, I looked it up, and it is true. They based that off of the, the, the guy from uh, Dark Shadows, that vampire show in the 60s. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so because yeah. I, I was like, dude, what is this guy wearing? Like, it's so he's like the count, and and right. Yeah, it was cool. At first, I was my first thought was like it was some kind of a pimp look, but it's it's not. It's definitely more of like a the count or a vampire, right? You know, kind of a <laughs> feel. Dude, I almost laughed out loud the part when like he's first talking to to Brendan the pin, and they're in the pin's house, and his mom it like pours them like apple <laughs> juice and some like cereal yeah. and she's like here you go and he's like oh thank you it's all perfect and i was like at at first i was like this is a weird scene and then it's the, the, and then later i was like no that's genius cuz that's like if he's in an italian mafia place and right. i'm like yeah you got your mama who's like making food for the people and he's like oh right. you know like and so it totally makes sense everything if you think of it in an adult manner of like a noir film right. all of the scenes totally make sense but seeing it in high school then right. <laughs> it's funny, like the call girl who's in the drama class and the way that she's just like manipulating people. And then you got the femme fatale, you know, which is just the right. main character. Yeah. 
it's fantastic i love it how- is, yeah it's it's all there but like you said it's funny especially with the pin because in, you know in that as you know in that uh, time frame you're looking at oh this is a dude who's way too old to be still living at home with his mom right you know in the basement right versus in a gangster movie it would have been the gangster owns the house and he's you know his mom lives with him and he she does right. all the cooking and you know oh you're getting so skinny eat some more food right you know kind of a thing but it's, right. it's definitely flip-flop because of the time period because of the time period and it, it's so funny how that works i totally forgot the whole thing about the cigarette. So then when he looks over and sees the cigarette at the end and realized yeah. that, that, uh, Laura, whatever her name is, yeah, was it Laura? Sure. Yeah. Was, um, yeah, that, it, that Damn. she was, that she was in it. And I was like, Oh yeah. Cause I was trying to remember like, why would, did he not stay with her? And I'm like, okay, that's it. Cause she's the ringer. She's right. the, um, the one person that actually set it up. And so his girlfriend, ex-girlfriend took the fall. So right. I thought that was yeah, pretty I was the crazy. Same way. I couldn't remember either. And then, you see that, and you're like, oh, snap. But that just shows what a good movie it is, too, that it's it still hooked you and sucked you in, and you, you know, unless you're one of those, I am not one of those people, my wife is, I think your wife is, too, where she can figure out what's going on in the movie <laughs> super early. Right. You know, like, that's the bad guy. What, what are you talking about? You know, I'm just, I'm right. just blindly going along for the ride. Right. <laughs> it's know? clearly not. They haven't said he's the bad guy yet. Yeah. Right. No, I totally feel you, uh, which is so funny. That... That's actually that that is it's, it's so funny you mentioned that because I can enjoy movies more sometimes that way because like I don't like my mind just kind of just goes on like we're just going for the ride and yeah. if I can figure out something early then I've I've seen too many movies but then like maybe it's just really blatant and I'm just like okay that's not that's not working out too well which is right. why I didn't like the remake of the stand I I couldn't even finish it I was just not a fan of that did you watch oh, it? The, sh- the show? Yeah. Yeah. I Yeah. I've watched the first episode and it was okay, but not, I do. That is my favorite Stephen King book. So I have such a high bar right. set for it that I just, uh, the fact- I might try to go back, but I've just, I don't know. I'd rather see it done as a. Right. No, it was well, such... actually, I would rather anyone, but CBS did it <laughs> kind of, I almost don't <laughs> blame HBO did it or Netflix. Maybe. I don't know. I think personally, if this uh, editing was done differently, the whole like flashback sequences, terrible. But anyways, uh, but yeah, that was one thing where they they immediately showed like one of the main bad guys in the first episode, and I was like, the whole point of the book was you didn't know if he was gonna be a good guy or a bad guy until he right. finally decides to become a bad guy, and that was like, right. you blow that in the first episode, then like where's all of the I the agree. tension and like the well, whole and he was and he was skinny, which right. The whole point in the book is that he's fat and then he loses weight and he gains some self-confidence and then you're like, oh, he's going to be a good guy. And then, you know, he turns out to be a dirtbag. Right. Yeah. And they kind of went the other way, which I, I don't know. Like, I've only got through the first episode and I didn't really care enough to go, go beyond it. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah. Oh, I did want to say one more thing about the dialogue. Yes. Um, Trinity has been rewatching Dawson's Creek. Did you ever watch that show? Or have you seen any of that show? I've seen the first two seasons because I was work, walk, working through it with uh, my wife because that was one of her favorite shows growing up. Okay. So Trinity's, this is probably her third or fourth time watching mm-hmm. the show. And so I'm, I haven't been watching, I've watched it one time through with her. and mm-hmm. But yeah, she'll be, she'll have it on the bedroom and whatever and I'm doing, you know, something else. And I'll be kind of listening. And it has... <laughs> The most pretentious dialogue for a bunch of, you know, high schoolers. Like they're <laughs> way too smart for their own good. And uh-huh. just way too heady. It's 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 ridiculous. Right. No average group of high schoolers, which is what they're supposed to be, would talk like this. 
So that's just, it kind of reminded, this movie kind of reminded me dialogue-wise of Dawson's Creek, except that in the movie they know that they're using this 30s and 40s style of dialogue. Yeah. And they're not just being pretentious like they are in Dawson's Creek. They just No, they go full in. Like, you have to pay attention. Because right. they keep referring to the police as the bulls. And, like, it took me a thick minute to be like, who are they talking about? <laughs> I was like, is that a rival gang? And right. then I was finally like, oh, no, you freaking moron. No, they're talking about the police. Right. No, I thought that was pretty awesome, though. Did um, you ever watch Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet? It's been a while. Um, I didn't. I have it because I didn't like it the first time I watched it. But then now that I have, I actually enjoy Shakespeare. I I will watch it again. So yeah, what do you think about it? Well, it just this movie also reminded me of watching that movie back in the day because it was Trinity's old roommate Beulah. If you remember her, mm-hmm. she loved this movie, and we I don't know I saw it several times just back at their apartment. Yes, you know, back before we got married. Anyways, it just reminded me of his way of taking something classic like you know and, and really old like shakespeare and putting it on a modern twist but keeping the original dialogue and then yes. watching this movie it just this time through just i don't know just kind of reminding me of him in that movie well that's one thing i really like about independent films is they can really play with different stuff because i mean number one they don't know if anybody's gonna even see this so they have to do something that's kind of really stands out but it gives them complete creative freedom and i think yes. that's that's awesome i mean for example yeah. I, we, I know we're referencing tons of other stuff, but like, for example, the Zack Snyder's Justice League, like he had final cut on that and he didn't get paid to put it together because he had final cut. And so like that's gives you complete creative freedom over your projects. That's pretty amazing. So the fact that that Ryan Johnson was able to like figure out how to shoot this on the lowest budget possible and then went out and then like was able to have people donate to uh, to make this film. Like, right. It was pretty legit. And he got some good actors. Like even even at the time, they were still like up and coming um actors, you know, but they they weren't like nobodies. I mean, there were some yeah. people, but like, yeah, it just it did really good. I mean, I, I'm glad that this movie was his his breakout hit because it then like now we get to see consistently like what else he's putting out. When you see his movies, right. you know it's gonna be tightly written, you know it's gonna go somewhere interesting. And it's going to be good, which, I mean, that's one reason I think I was so disappointed with The Last Jedi, because I was really excited to see what he was going to do with Star Wars. Oh, me too. And unfortunately, I think that the lore that was so cemented already boxed him in. So the only thing he could do was punch out, and it was a bad choice. So It was, and it was kind of the wrong time to do that. It's you know They really should have done it in the previous movie to set up the fact that we're not just recreating you know, the, the original three movies that came out, you know, back in the right. 70s, early 80s. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What else uh, What else do you got to say about this movie? Uh, well, I just got to point out that sweet 71 Mustang mm. that goes oh, yeah. roaring, roaring through this movie. And we just did Bullet a couple episodes back. Um, also, about yes. a sweet Mustang. Yeah, includes a sweet Mustang. So that was that was really fun for me. And along with that, something that really jumped out to me was the audio is very visceral in this movie. Just when you hear, like when uh, Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is running, he's wearing those kind of wingtip dress shoes almost. Like, you yeah. can call them loafers. I don't know. I'm not thinking of what the, the type of shoe they are. But they're just very clacky when they hit the ground. And he's running full out right. so much in this movie. And you just hear it smack, 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 smack. Right. On the pavement as he's running to either get away from someone or catch someone or make it to the payphone in time to answer the phone call. And just so all the footsteps 
yeah. um, are just, they really stand out in this movie, which is, is kind of cool. And he definitely takes a beating in this movie. I mean, oh my gosh. He's a straight up punching bag. <laughs> right. The thing that's funny is like, there's one part when he's laying down or whatever and the Laura's like, hey, you need to keep sleeping. Like you've lo-, like, oh yeah, he passed out in the car and then he's like, he's, she's like, you coughed up a lot of blood. And he's like, no, I got to keep going. And it's like, dude, you're hemorrhaging. Like you're dead. Like right. get to the freaking <laughs> hospital. <laughs> right. <laughs> And it's like, he's like, nope, it doesn't work. It's not in the script. Like, and then he's like, fine. He's like, I'll sleep it off. And I'm like, yeah, sure you will. But right. yeah, that well, was too that funny. Confession you probably have. Right. I did like the, so the one scene that I remember the most from this movie is when the tug jumps in the Mustang and drives off and then stops at the end of the parking, oh, parking lot, lot. Yeah. and then drives it right at him in like, uh, the Brendan doesn't move and he then they have that cool scene where like his hand he drives right past him and show his hand like right like literally the car is like an inch away from his hand right uh, like it almost nailed him going like 70 miles an hour and like that scene I was just like oh that's cool I think that was in the trailer and that's actually what, like another thing that yeah. grabbed me and yeah I thought that was cool and then another thing that uh, impressed me this time was when he's running away from the guy that uh, turns out Brad actually uh, sent him to to kill Brendan well, when the guy attacks him with a knife and he's like, they have the chase scene through the high school. Like right. you were saying, like the, the shoes being so loud that like he gets the guy to like follow him. So then he like runs around the corner and takes his shoes off so then he can sneak up on the guy. Right. And so does that much slide more impactful the, the because, dude trips. Right. It was so impactful because it was so, it was extra silent because he's in his socks and right know, like we said all the footsteps and the running is so loud throughout the movie and it just it was very uh impressive and that part happened right and i love i this is one thing i love about independent films is they couldn't show they didn't have the budget so the guy trips over him flies out of the scene and it stays on on brendan as his reaction and then it slowly pans over to what happened to the guy so like you i'm thinking they had enough time to like pull the mattress out of the way and like have him set up on that to look like he ran into that pole. And right. and so they didn't have to show that. And that's one thing I love about independent films. It's like when they, they're on such a, a budget that they, they definitely are like, Oh, I have to think really creativity. And uh, sometimes budget constraints like really brings out the best in those, in those shows. Absolutely. No, I think that is a very key thing with, with a lot of indie filmmakers. I mean, at least the good ones, I would say, because that's, I mean, that's always very much intriguing me, especially during that time period. Like I said, when this came out, and I was very aware of independent films. I mean, I, you know what? I gotta, I gotta take that back a little bit because I remember being really into Robert Rodriguez mm. and watching the first Mariachi movie. Yeah, which I mean, it's not a great movie, but it's really cool to watch from a filmmaking point of view and seeing what he did to get the shots that yes. he needed. And that guy had like no budget. Yeah, I mean, it was very, very shoestring. Right. No, El Mariachi is so much fun to watch from a filmmaking standpoint of view. Absolutely. It's not the most entertaining film, but yeah, like you said, though, you nailed it right on the head. Yeah. It's fascinating just being like, how did he do this? Yeah. Right. Creative control. And he also directed an episode on The Mandalorian. Throwback. Yay. It's, uh, it's all coming together. <laughs> it all comes together in the end. <laughs> You're dangerous now. That's another line from Brick. <laughs> So. You know what I gotta say though, um, you had said earlier that it's he's not really known necessarily for his cinematography, but I did feel that this movie did have some really cool shots. Yes, um, that were either framed really well and just were very kind of beautiful to see. Even if it was like a B-roll sort of shot, mm-hmm. uh, there's one one that kind of really stood out to me is at the end of the movie when he's meeting up with, you know, the girl who ends up being the villain, 
and he's walking or it's right before he walks onto the football field and it's it's in the morning and there's like a million seagulls on the ground right. that all take off and fly off uh which is seems to be a very california thing well one they're not that far from the ocean but right those rats with wings seem to be everywhere <laughs> but anyways they uh it was just a cool shot and it just made me you know appreciate that you know he does even though he's more of a storytelling guy he he does have an eye it just oh no always... he de- he definitely does yeah i just yeah I, I was thinking of like guy Ritchie or like m night uh, well, Shyamalan. that's what i mean that's yeah. what i mean i feel like it's it can be overshadowed especially when you look at other guys who are all about the cinematography and you know right. cool edits and and just capturing these great takes but anyways. right but he's got such a good uh he's a great craftsman in the way that he puts it together and i really respect him for that like he he just this is one of the the earlier uh independent films as well that i watched that i just was like really started to bring me and this is the first independent film where i was like that was cool like what other movies yeah. are out there that are independent film and I'm glad that you picked this movie. And this is kind of, I think this is our first independent film that, that we uh, reviewed. I it don't know is. if we. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to, I know we've discussed this. We really, we've, I mean, for a long time now, we have loved independent film. It's very important to us. Uh, right. So we're hoping that we can take this podcast and try to elevate independent film to, to more people. And right. uh, not, not, you know, not that <laughs> kind of like from an underground hipstery kind of way it's not like we're trying to blow these films up or want independent movies to get like massive uh no, but, attention yeah but at the same time there's nothing wrong with that we want these people to be successful and we just definitely would like to kind of carve out a little bit more space in our podcast to showcase a uh, great independent film right because that's and, what and we're hopefully hopefully get some more independent filmmakers on and yes. uh, who knows maybe we'll even do some stuff that's kind of off our, our rule is that you know we only do movies that are at least 10 years old or older but when it comes to indie film maybe we'll maybe we'll bend that rule a little bit yeah we'll see how the what the what happens as the year goes on i'm i i don't i don't think i have anything else about this movie i'm trying to think of uh something else about it it's 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 fun i really enjoy that it really keeps your attention because you're trying to figure out what's going on and the dialogue really keeps you pulled in it's a classic whodunit and if there's just one last thing i could say about this movie and and the kind of tying it in with other great indie movies is that they a good indie movie always seems to have the perfect song that kicks in right when the end credits come on and it's either oh, yeah. just like a cool jammy indie rock kind of sound or i don't know it's always that to me that's just kind of iconic when it comes to a great indie film usually the opening song is good too if not yeah. the entire soundtrack but for sure when those credits roll and it's just punchy and just bam and it's just like the coolest song Right. So he delivered on that. Oh, I, I, do you know the name of the song? Nope. <laughs> Would have been great if I did. I was like, I was waiting for you to be like, and then this song came up. That was the song of the summer for me. Yeah. Right. Nope. Nope. I really should have done that. I apologize, everyone. <laughs> Go watch the movie. Figure it out yourself, Instagram. guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I did. I will say also too. The music struck me right at the beginning, like when they have like the the theme song playing and they have that weird. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out if that's like bells or whatever that is, like that weird sound. They did a really good job with like the music stra- sounding straight from a Nor film as well. Like yes. a, lots of trumpet. Um, right. Just it was very uh, period correct. I would say as far as your classic 30s and 40s Nor. Yeah, if you watch this movie, or actually, if you turn the movie, the screen off, and you just heard it, then you would be like ninety percent be like, I think I'm watching a 1930s movie, 
Right. Black and white. Right. It's, it's all there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anything else before we uh, go into our final verdicts? Uh, just the fact that somehow Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Brandon, kept those thin, fragile, tiny glasses intact throughout the whole movie. What a, what a masterful job. He was determined, so tip, yeah, nothing. Tip of the cap, sir. <laughs> tip of the cap. He l- pulled a little Bob Balaban there. You know, I was just like, <laughs> you know, I was like, dang, that's freaking awesome. Um, but yes, that's all I got. All right. Uh, so yeah, do you think that the movie was um, a smash hit when it came out, or like, what, what, what do you think? I think for the most part, uh, yeah, I, I gave it an A as far as mm. uh, how it did when it came out. I mean, just looking at it from a budget point of view to you know the money that it made uh, it seemed to have pretty pretty decent reviews mm-hmm. um so i would i would give it an a yeah i, I know i def- in, i saw it kind of both of us i think saw it fairly soon after it came out and it seemed to have you know for most people we get talked to seemed to right a lot of positive things to say about it right no absolutely i definitely give it an a as well because i think that it uh it was, it was pretty well received it made shoot like way more in its budget so that that yeah that was great and it put ryan johnson and uh, joseph gordon levitt on the map so totally yeah yeah um let's see is it still relevant now which i guess we're gonna uh, talk about like in movie history i guess we gotta say is it still relevant because like that's too pop culture is too wide yeah because when it comes to pop culture i can't give it more than a c just because mm-hmm. I mean, and, and probably even less because I think it's kind of because it's such an indie film. I don't right. see it having. I mean, if we're talking Looper, more people would be aware of that. And then, of course, but that's just because it's newer and it's mainstream when it came out. It, right. Exactly. So but a lot of people that really were excited about Looper was because of Brick. Um, right. As far as Ryan Johnson, you know, being a contributor to, you know, modern film and whatnot. I mean, I guess. I guess we got to give it a, or I would say maybe more of a B as far mm. as, I mean, I feel like it still holds up pretty well. Um, yeah, I give it a, uh, I give it a B as well. Cause I was like watching the film, like a, a good filmmakers, like first movies. Yes. And this one definitely, uh, I definitely think it's held together really well. And I like that it like the period piece of it in the like it definitely has a turn of the the century feel to it so like the style and all that stuff is brings back memories of like when i was in high school so that's pretty fun but um yeah but i definitely think that it's good because like i I think it's i love watching older ones like you know following and el mariachi other films that like great directors have done and so just seeing where they've gone this movie started off like his this is a solid flick though for somebody's first film i agree i agree and i think that's why i give it like you said especially from a film history point of view and and how it's relevant today in 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 film i think it's definitely a b because it's just a great movie and I yeah. think he was really smart in how he chose his sets and was able to save money, but it, it but it worked. It seemed like that was all intentional, right? You know, shooting it at his old high school, uh, you know, an abandoned house basically. I mean, that's really the two uh, locations that get used the most in the entire movie, and I'm I'm sure that saved a lot of money. Right, absolutely. Oh, I did see that the one part where um, Emily is murdered, that storm drain, like they got permission from the authorities to to film there, but the authorities were like, we can't guarantee though that that's safe because like water comes down there randomly because <laughs> it drains from other areas in the city. <laughs> so every time they went to go film in there, they're like, okay, guys, like we might have to bounce like at any time. Right. So right. <laughs> th- that was pretty funny. Flash flood <laughs> warning. 
Right. So yeah, I gave it a I gave it a B um, as well for uh, relevancy because it just really cements him very quickly as like, hey, we need to watch this director and, and writer. We need yeah. to see like where he's gonna go. And right. he's been, um, yeah, he's fantastic. So uh, personal enjoyment, Josh. So I gave it a B. I really liked it, and that's you know that's a good rating. But it's funny because I I was super pumped to watch this. I just remember liking it more, and it might just be not that I disliked it at all i just it i think i've just seen a lot of other independent movies and whatnot since then and mm. it just you know again a b I mean, that's a good rating i just kind of thought i was gonna come in on an a like Man, this is just you know hit everything mm-hmm. i like about independent film so i give it a b okay i give it a b as well because honestly i man we're just like in sync uh, I know, today this is apparently weird man yeah, it's like, wow, we need to have somebody else on the show, apparently. Um, That's well, right. Right. So we, uh, I give it a B as well, though, because I actually was going back to, when you were like, hey, we got to review Brick, and I was like, okay. I was like, yeah, I like that movie, and I enjoyed it so much more this time than the, the first time. And oh, I liked awesome. it the first time, but like this time, just watching it and appreciating it for what he, he did, just like really getting the dialogue and the weirdness of it. Yeah, um, yeah I liked it. So I definitely would give it a, a B for sure. Because the first time, I think I was distracted by um, how much I liked Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and then like I followed his career after that for a while. Yeah. and uh, But this time, though, just like the storytelling. And I really liked Lucas Haas, who played the pin. Like I thought he did a really good job. He did. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, he was fantastic. And yeah, so I give it a B. Is it a midnight watch? Well, it is not for me. I I really like this movie, but it's just it's definitely not one. It's a slow burn kind of that has like explosive moments of action or violence in it, which I don't get mm-hmm. me wrong, I really like that. Uh, right. But it's just not enough to, you know, keep me up at night. So why? Well, I, I think that's the beauty of independent films, though, is sometimes they are. They are, they are allowed to run at their own pace, and in this case, I think that this movie does, it is paced really well compared to like old school noir films. Like I watched the Maltese right. Falcon for the first time this year um, in January, and like really enjoyed it. And so after watching that, and then watching this movie only like two months later, I guess that was more fresh in my mind. So that's like he he was very inspired by that movie and by the writings, of course, of, of Dashiell Hammett. So. Right. Um, yeah. So I totally. It's not a midnight watch for me either. But I don't, dude. I just really enjoyed the dialogue. I don't. I don't know, man. It might. It might be a midnight you watch. It it, it was, you're gonna give it a half a midnight watch. Uh, well, it's <laughs> funny that when you the, the last episode when you're talking about the Mighty Ducks and you're like, I just want to, but I like there's parts of it. I'm like, dude, that's not a midnight watch. Like, I know. But, I, know. I was like, I'm gonna call it a midnight Josh, where it's like I watch parts of this movie. <laughs> that's my, so, my wishy washy vote. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a midnight I like watch? It. it depends on the scene. No, it's not right. a midnight watch. Right. Um, no, it's not a midnight watch for me, but I I did enjoy this movie though. I'm really glad that you picked it though, because I I I honestly wouldn't watch probably wouldn't watch this movie again just because there's there's so much to watch now. But right. I'm really glad we came back and we um, revisited this, and I would definitely recommend this movie to watch if you're an independent film fan, if you're a Ryan Johnson fan, Joseph Gordon-Levitt fan, or if you're a, a film noir fan, if you're just a yeah. fan of film. You know, if you like California, if you like about, pretty pretty pictures on the moving screen. <laughs> yeah, moving pictures. <laughs> All right, where did you where did you watch this delightful motion picture? This this delightful hidden gem uh, was on Prime. 
Yes. Amazon Watch Prime. it there, too. We both watch it. Yeah. Yeah, I did see that it's leaving on April 1st, so sorry, suckers. <laughs> you have to find it somewhere else. Um, right. <laughs> but but uh, definitely check it out. No, that's that was it's a it's a really good movie, and that about wraps up today's episode. If you uh, want to check out this movie, we just talked about that, so yeah, yeah. good luck. Special thanks that's... to our sound producer, <laughs> Jay Coleman. <laughs> and if you had as much fun <laughs> as we did, <laughs> you want to start over? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, I was running out of air, and you, <laughs> you kept trying to be like start start over, <laughs> and I was like, no, <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. If you had as much fun as we did on this episode, we'd love it if you shared this with your family, friends, and anyone you think would like it. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. It's found on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and just about any other platform. Also, we'd love it if you'd visit our Instagram or our Facebook page, and you can find us on both of those at the Midnight Watch podcast. Uh, we have our, our hashtag, What's Your Midnight Watch? Check that out. Uh, if you're ever uh, talking about a movie, even to friends or whoever on Instagram, throw that hashtag on there. We'd love to be a part of it. And you can also directly reach us at the Midnight Watch Podcast at gmail.com. Nice. Once again. Thought I went past puberty already. <laughs> Alright, all right, everyone. Have a fantastic week. And as always, keep up the watch.